Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Rise to Purpose podcast. My name is David Rochelle III, and I am your host. I want to welcome you back. I know that we've been away for a while, but to your delight, I am bringing to the table someone that I truly enjoy uh, speaking with and also watching her through social media. And that is Miss Jasmine Atkins. So we'll be talking today on normalizing sexual health. Now, I know everyone wants to talk about sex. I mean, it's a popular subject, especially among adults. But we're going to take a different approach to the topic. And Jasmine is going to bring something very unique to the table. So in letting you know who our guest is, Jasmine has been working in the sexual health field for over a decade now, serving as the prep coordinator for CAN, which stands for Community Health and Founder uh, of the Instagram page. It's just a coochie. That's right. It's just a coochie. So she's the founder of that Instagram page. So you got to check it out. Jasmine has devoted her time to educating people on sexual health practices and normalizing sexual behavior. Jasmine received her bachelor's degree in public health from the University of South Florida and went on to receive her master's degree in health education and curriculum design. She is currently pursuing her PhD in educational leadership. And in her free time, Jasmine enjoys singing, traveling, and listening to the latest audio books. Jasmine, welcome to the Rise of Purpose podcast. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I've been, I've been waiting for this. I've been anticipating this. And I think my <laughs> audience is going to enjoy it. So, you know, I, I'll begin by saying that what prompted me to invite you as a guest is, of course, your Instagram page. It's just a coochie. I mean, when I saw it, I'm like, I just fell out laughing. I, I just thought it was so cute. And I was like, OK, yeah. this is at the very least an attention grabber. Uh, at the very least, that you just cannot ignore. So, of course, I started thumbing through, you know, your posts and reading the replies from your audience, and I just thought it was fabulous. So, you know, with that being said, what brought you to, you know, not only naming it, but creating this Instagram page? Yeah, so I've always wanted to do, you know, online platform. You know, I just wasn't sure what route I wanted to go, but for sexual health education, um, you know, one of the things I've seen as a sexual health educator and just working in the field for so long is that um, there's a one, a lot of misinformation. Um, and two, a lot of the misinformation stems from not knowing where to get the education, right? So we can always go on Google, you know, movies that we watch um, or other Instagram pages, like a lot of memes and things like that. Um, you know, even adults, not just young adults or teens, you know, will take a meme and say, oh, well, that must be true. But it's also funny. And it's like, not necessarily. Um, so I definitely wanted to create a space that was inclusive, funny still, because, you know, it's it's the body. Things are bound to be funny, uh, but definitely also had that educational piece there. Um, and so that's kind of how It's Just a Coochie was born, uh, if you, you know, say it that way. Um, but the name kind of came from, I was in conversations uh, with my sister and my mom and we, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but you know, at the end of the day, we were having a conversation and someone was like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe you said that. And we were like, no, it's just a coochie, like relax. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
this is the name because it's true, right? It's just a body part. We're talking about the body. We're talking about human behavior um, and it should be normalized and celebrated. And, and that's kind of where everything came from. So we took it and we ran. Awesome. Awesome. So I, I like the fact that, you know, you say that it should be normalized. I mean, of course, we're all here because of sexual activity and behavior, and yet right. it has a certain uh, stigma, stigmatization about it that, you know, we are limited on what we can actually discuss. So what areas or what topics do you think need to be destigmatized, even in the adult community? Yeah, so one, um, you know, just because of my background, and it's just, you know, what I'm really passionate about, but it's also very true, you know, HIV and STIs are sexually transmitted infections, right? There's a lot of this misconception of who can have those, um, you know, conditions, it's only those types of people, or it's only, um, you know, our MSM community, which stands for men who have sex with men or LGBTQ community. And that's just not the case, right? HIV and STIs don't discriminate. And how you get them is, are you sexually active? Yes. Then there's a potential risk there. Now, other things put you at a higher risk. So things like not using condoms um, all the time, or especially if you have multiple partners and you're, you know, changing partners frequently without condom use, sharing needles for any reason, that certainly puts you at a higher risk. Um, But what we still see in our communities is that it's still stigmatized. Um, You know, it's kind of like a those people effect. and that's not good. One, it, le- it doesn't leave room for education. Um, you know, and what we don't know, we fear. So there's a fear, there's a stigmatization there. Um, and then there's no education. So that's one piece. Um, the second piece, I think, is just kind of about sex in general. I mean, from the time, you know, most of us probably started going to school, um, we probably, you might have never been taught the proper terms for your genitals, right? It might have been like, no one touches your no-no spot. What is that? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. What does that mean? Technically, that would be my whole body. Like, if I don't want you to touch me, don't touch me. Um, you know, we, we weren't taught proper names. You know, we were taught, um, you know, some people who, you know, depending on maybe what religious background you were from or, you know, different values from your family, um, a lot of folks have had that pushed on them. And so now they're an adult who are able to make their own decisions, uh, but maybe they're not sure where to go, or maybe they're pushing their views on other people. And through that, we may have people say, oh, that's dirty, or those people are dirty. Um, And especially when we look at our younger population, what happens is miseducation, um, you know, if they're going to be sexually active, regardless of what you might say to them, they're getting wrong information and then they're doing things in ways that can be potentially harmful um, and hurt them, not just in that moment, but, you know, for the rest of their life, if we're talking, you know, diseases and things like that. Um, No, definitely great, great points. And so, you know, with that being said, you know, as far as where we're getting our information from, uh, you know, I remember vaguely, very, very vaguely, you know, many, many moons ago when we had, you know, a a very slight introduction to sexual education and, you know, secondary schools. And it was, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't teach me anything. I got to be honest. It didn't teach me anything. Um, I had a test on it. I do know that, but it didn't teach me anything, not a damn thing, to be honest with you. And, you know, with that being said, uh, I think that there's so many different layers of education that has to go into sexual education that 
you know, we haven't even, and I say we collectively uh, as a society haven't even grasped how to educate people properly on this. You know, for instance, you know, something that, you know, I'm really paying attention to now these days is the mental health component of when a man is involved in sexual activity and when a female is involved in sexual activity in a heterosexual relationship. There is a mental health aspect of that, that, you know, it has to be addressed separately. You know, it's, it's not that you can teach one class to both boys and girls and, you know, the sexual education is kind of like a cookie cutter program and it's a one size fits all. I think that they have to be separated. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? So you mean like as far as separating by gender for like teaching classes? Yeah. Yeah. So um, for me, um, I don't teach youth as much anymore, but when I did, I would never encourage separating. Um, But I will also, yeah, but I will also say, I think it depends on who's teaching your class and what curriculum they're using. Right. Mm. Um, so in the curriculum that I used um, and at the way I teach in general or if I'm lecturing is very inclusive. Um, you know, it's going to come from a medical, a medically accurate perspective. Uh, believe it or not, um, in many states in the, um, you know, around the country, sex ed is not required to be medically accurate. <laughs> um, mm. So, interesting. yeah. Yeah, so you, you have a lot of different issues. So in my classes that were medically accurate and we're talking about anatomy and systems of the body first, um, mm-hmm. and then we're talking about you know the different risk factors. So we would kind of separate them out. So in the curriculum that I was using, I did not encourage the separation of the students. Now, you know, if you have a program, like you said, that maybe we're talking about mental health Um, about and how that might affect sexual activity. I mean, that might be something even, you know, that's like the, um, like the student maybe consents to that class, like that's something separate, Uh, because it is, that's a big issue that does need to be addressed and is not really covered in sex ed classes. My curriculum was a little bit different, but, you know, still, you could probably still put it in the box of like cookie cutter, you know, Um, there's a lot of sex ed topics that get overlooked um, you know, we talk about it from, you know, the, the risk perception, uh, mm-hmm. but we leave out other things like pleasure and, um, you know, negotiation skills beyond, I don't want to have sex. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you do, but maybe we're talking about condom negotiation or other contraceptives. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of other topics that we leave out and that could definitely be one. Yeah. And, you know, just for the sake of clarity, you know, not only for the audience, but then for you as well, Jasmine, uh, when I say mental health, you know, uh, maybe I could reword it uh, to the point where I'm speaking of the effects of sexual activity post uh, post event, whereas, you know, men, we respond to sex differently than women do, you know, when engagement occurs. I mean, there there's of course, there's the, the aspect of uh, men, we can com- compartmentalize sex. And that's all it is. It, 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 you know, it's, it can be a primal function, whereas once the activity for you know, reproduction is done, there's no emotional balance there. And so they can move on from the female versus, you know, and with you know, some females, and of course I'm not generalizing all, you know, there is an emotional attachment there. So there is, you know, that, and that, that's what I mean by the mental health aspect of dealing with, you know, you've had intercourse, now what? 
you know, so I just wanted to be clear with that as far as, you know, the separation of how, you know, yeah. boys and girls respond to the, uh, the event itself. So, but you explained it absolutely. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think it's important to, you know, for regardless of how you identify, or maybe we have a trans person or someone else in the LGBTQ community that I think also, like when I talk to guys and girls about it too, I have a lot of those questions or mm -hmm. a lot of those same topics brought up. Um, and I think it's, you know, one of the major factors of why we might think that way is, you know, maybe even societal, right? Um, you know, men are taught to be this way, women are this way. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also think about, you know, the facts of the matter, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times when consequences happen from sex, um, particularly pregnancy, um, that falls on the female partner. Mm -hmm. um, so I think as a society too, we kind of all need to come together. Um, so even in those like mental health discussions, you know, post sex, um, I would even challenge youth and, and adults as well to mm -hmm. have those tough conversations of, okay, why do we think this way? And maybe, you know, when we talk about responsibility or emotional connection, blah, 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 you know, how can we maybe involve all partners involved? But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you 100% because when it comes to, you know, social cognitive theory and how we learn things, I mean, it's based on what is acceptable to the society that we live in and the cultural uh, understandings that we develop you know, growing up. And so, you know, that's how the majority of us, not only do we learn those behavior patterns, but we stick with them throughout our adult life. And, you know, and, and unless it's challenged, and I like the way that you use the word, uh, we don't typically adapt in any other form or fashion. So uh, I think it's important that, yeah, education, um, you know, begins to evolve. And so I know for you and listening to you, uh, you look at, you know, health education, uh, sexual health education as a journey. So, you know, explain that to, uh, you know, the audience as far as how, how do you perceive it as a journey and, you know, what is a part of it? Yeah. So sexual health, a lot of times, you know, like you had mentioned before, they like to put it in a box, right? It's cookie cutter. It's something you learn about depending on where you live will depend on to what extent and who you live with and who's taking care of you usually like the middle school, high school age, and then that's it. <laughs> but we know, um, you know, that sexuality goes beyond the actual event. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, for me, I, I like to explain people, it's a journey, you know, one, you change as a person, what you thought last year could be very different than what it is now. And that also includes, you know, your sexual identity as well. Um, you know, so what you like, what you don't like, um, you know, and just learning about your body and your partners and, you know, all of the things that kind of go into that. Uh, but for me, the journey is lifelong. You know, I'm a big believer in age appropriate sex ed. You know, does that mean I'm telling the two-year-old about, you know, HIV and STIs? No, that means I'm telling the, the two-year-old about um, safe touches and unsafe touches, right? That's, I'm telling the two-year-old, you know, you can trust me in conveying those messages. Um, you know, and as, you know, children grow, there's different topics that you can introduce um, in such a way that lets them know, of course, about other people's bodies, but about their body, right? We want to be body, po body positive, body conscious, 
um, you know, consent, teaching consent from like the moment they're born is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I say sexual health is a journey because even once you are able to make that decision for yourself, like, yes, I want to, you know, have sex with another person, or maybe I'm doing some body exploration with masturbation and all these other kinds of things. Um, you know, that never ends, you know, as humans, we are sexual beings. And so we are going to continue evolving as we get older. Um, and so, yeah, sexual health is, is really a journey as you continue to learn yourself, learn about other people, learn about health in general, things in the sexual health world are always changing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you're just kind of on this journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've jumped in recently into learning more about sexual health uh, on the, on, along the lines of uh, there's been a growing popularity with hormone replacement therapy. And with that being said, you know, it remains to be seen how much our environments are actually, you know, having an impact on our sexual uh, abilities, to say the least. You know, especially that for men, uh, I've been doing research, you know, over many years now and just reading as much as I can as far as the effects of the environment, uh, the effects of, of course, things that you eat, including, you know, the isoflavins within soy products, how it can actually decrease uh, testosterone levels and increase estrogen levels. Uh, the fact that in some men, uh, excessive cardio can actually drive down testosterone levels and increase estrogen levels. And so, I mean, there's so many factors that are out there that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I know for me as a man, it's like, I want to make sure that when it's time to perform, it's time to perform. And, you know, there's, there's no hesitation uh, in being able to do so, you know, not only for the sake, of course, no longer for reproduction, but, you know, at this point for pleasure. And I think that it's, it's, Something that, you know, as you mentioned before, throughout our various stages of life, we have to remain cognizant of there are differences and we're all going through changes. So, you know, at what level is, you know, sexual health important to you and in regards to what you want to participate in? So I I think um, that, you know, what you're doing is great. Uh, You know, I I would love to, you know, at some point, um, if you're open to it, see, you know, you do some things on you know, how can HRT be beneficial to, you know, men and women uh, when needed? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So hormone replacement therapy or HRT, like you had mentioned, um, you know, is becoming more accessible, mm-hmm. um, you know, because for a long time, um, you know, from the perspective that I will come from, because uh, that's just what I know most about, and I don't want to misspeak, um, you know, for our trans population, mm-hmm. um, you know, having, you know, this gender dysphoria. And so hormone replacement therapy has really allowed folks to really, um, you know, become who they feel they are. Right. And so it's been really beneficial, not just for their sexuality and how they look and things like mm-hmm. that, but also for like mental health, like you had, you know, had mentioned, Um, you know, they can now, their body can match what they feel. And that is huge. Um, You know, but absolutely, it's just becoming a little bit more available. I I dare say less taboo. Uh, I think it might depend on what space you're in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's so much still to be learned, um, you know, from people, you know, if you're not familiar with it, you know, do your homework as you've been doing. Um, But absolutely, it can be beneficial, you know, for men, for women, 
Um, you know, it's just one of those things of, you know, finding a provider, talking it out, of course, making sure that we're doing it safely. Um, you know, make, yeah, just really just making sure that it's the safe product. That's the product you need and not going, you know, through like any black market channels or anything like that. No, great, great point. Uh, as far as, <laughs> yeah, there, there are quite a few black market uh, channels that are out there. And it's alarming how easily you can acquire uh, some of these things. And yet, um, I think people, you know, can just haphazardly turn a issue into a problem, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, going through these black market channels, they, you know, it's either hit or miss. So, of course, I, I'm always uh, 100% on board with following uh, anyone who's, you know, state or board certified in their respective areas uh, in reference to uh, their areas of specialty when in health. So, you know, I, I mentioned, I mentioned AHRT because, you know, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, how, how would you recommend, or what are your thoughts surrounding normalizing, you know, sex thing conversations, you know, in relationships, regardless of, you know, whether or not you're talking to a family member or friend or, you know, um, spouse, you know, your child, you know, how would you go about normalizing, those types of conversations. So surrounding HRT or just like sexual health in general? Just sexual health in general. Okay. Well, I I guess my answer would probably be very similar regardless. Um, So I think that one, to start normalizing the conversation is that one, we have to, one, just be comfortable with the information ourselves, right? Um, There are so many adults who don't know the information at no fault of their own. You know, they weren't taught it. Um, maybe they were meant to feel ashamed of it or, you know, whatever growing up. So, you know, now we have an adult who sexes for reproduction and that's it, you know, and if that's someone to you, that's fine too. Uh, but I think the first part is just becoming really comfortable with it Two, knowing the information. So knowing beyond, I say like the scary stuff, you know, everyone's like, if you have sex, you'll get pregnant and die. Um, and it's funny, but there are people who still do teach that, right? Um, it's not as, you know, far-fetched as it might sound. Um, so knowing the information, um, becoming curious about things outside of that, like that perspective of kind of what you learn in health class, like the, you know, HIV and all the other STIs and pregnancy prevention, super important, but there are so many other topics about sexuality. Um, and then, like I said, just age appropriate sex ed, you know? You know, if you like um, a common one that I get is, okay, my, my toddler, um, you know, they're rubbing themselves, uh, you know, on their, their genital area or, you know, whatever thing they're using, the pool jet, the rocking horse in the backyard, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, well, we all know what they're doing, right? That's a form of self-pleasure. That's masturbation. They don't know those words because they're a toddler, but what they do mm-hmm. know is that it feels good, Right. right. So as a parent, what do we do? Are we going to run over there and freak out, say no? Some parents freak out so badly they spank them or, you know, depending on other generational trauma, maybe we're having thoughts of, oh my gosh, someone's touching my child. You know, lots of things can kind of happen. But really, in most cases, what's happening is that child is saying, this feels good, so I'm going to keep doing it. Right. So right. <laughs> it's again, those, those times and places of, okay, that feels good. I understand that. But in the backyard in, you know, in public is not the place to do it. 
Right. You know, you're in your room, your safe space, and you're alone. You're in the bathroom in a safe place and you're alone. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. you can carve out some time for that. Not all afternoon, but you can carve out some time for that. And then you move on. Um, right. And so it's just kind of conversations like that, starting from a really young age, just posi- body positive, um, thinking before we react to things. Because as adults, we see a child doing something sexual and we're like, where did they learn that? I mean, kind of like you said, a lot of this is just human nature. This is what we do. It's not that they may have learned it from somewhere. It's just what, what we do. Um, but yeah, that's just my approach to having this conversation. Start them early, do your own homework. Don't be afraid to get other people involved because you not knowing the answer is not the end of the world, right? There's a lot of things you may not know that I may not know. And I'm always the first to say, I'm not sure, but I will find out. Um, and that's kind of the approach I always recommend people do as well. No, no, that's that, that's great advice, uh, Jasmine. You know, one of the reasons why I, I definitely bring up conversations is simply because, you know, of course, um, you know, there, there are various stereotypes that go along with, um, you know, fraternities and things of that sort. And, you know, I, I've been surprised as far as the number of my fraternal brothers that have talked to me about uh, sexual health, you know, as we we're aging together, you know, of course, there are certain things that change and, you know, we're starting to have more open and candid conversations. But then in my mind, I'm like, this would have never happened 20 years ago. I mean, this, you know, what we're talking about right now, you'd be like, D- bro, yo, no, no, we're not having a conversation. You know, you would instantly be cut off. But now we've matured to a point where we're having these open conversations. And I find it enlightening that, um, you know, you get to a certain age where you just want to make sure that you're doing the right things. And I think that if we could actually get that type of that level of thinking in earlier generations, we'll have fewer problems. Yeah. A hundred percent. I fully agree. I I wish that we would start the conversation younger and again, age appropriate, right? Right. But yeah, we would have less problems. Um, You know, I think couples might, they would be more honest with each other, happier, better sex lives. You know, the way we raise our children would be completely different. So yeah, absolutely. How do you, so I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. How do you think that, or, or, how do we get to where we are right now when it comes to sexual health? You know, it's like, it's the stigmatization, you know, and things of that sort. It's like, you know, how do we get here? It's like, at one point, I mean, it was such a natural part of human evolution. And then it's like, okay, it had to be a certain time period, like within your studies, when did we become so hypersensitive around the topic? So I can't really pinpoint any dates or anything like that. And I apologize, but I think kind of what happened is like, you, you have this idea about like sex, sex is normal, blah, blah, blah. However, I think what has happened is that we were looking at sex just from one perspective, right? It was for married couples, heterosexual couples, and it was for reproduction, right? Mm-hmm. And that was it. And, you know, you look at the history, you know, you know, early 1900s, you know, people had so many children, Right. Because they were having sex with their husbands um, whenever, especially if you bring kind of religion into it. You know, the man is head of the household. When I say this is, you know, what goes. So you had women with lots of children. Then what happened? We got introduced to birth control. We were like, oh, wait, 
Now I have a little bit of say, like I can still have sex, but now I have say about how many children I will have. So that kind of opened up a different kind of conversation, right? So we've always had, you know, people working in the field of sex work, but mm-hmm. now it, it got a little bit different because now I say, okay, my wife's on birth control. Why? <laughs> she, she's married. Why do we have to worry about those types of things? And, you know, now sex workers can maybe control that a little bit better. So I think just different topics have been introduced into sex of things that maybe we didn't want to talk about. So like sex work being like still a huge topic of conversation, Um, multiple partners um, and multiple partners, in my opinion, from the perspective of a woman, you know, you look in history of all around the world, men having multiple partners has always been accepted. It's almost... Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah, it's normal. Like, oh, yeah, of course he does. Uh, But now, you know, when we have women having multiple partners um, and then you have the LGBTQ revolution and that kind of starting, I think it's the multiple topics and things that are just not the, you know, the status quo, I think, is kind of what have ruffled, um, you know, some feathers. Um, Other things, I think, just the ways of life of some people. you know, whether it's personal beliefs or religion, um, you know, really controls people's thoughts. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You can definitely have your own opinion and things like that. But I think is what happens, it kind of gets pushed on to a lot of other folks. And then it's now it's and then it gets politicized. And so there's just all these different things that kind of happen that I think, in my opinion, that's kind of why things are a little bit, um, you know, a little bit stirred around. But then you mm-hmm. also have different generations of people that are like, okay, that's fine. We're going to ruffle feathers and we don't care that we're ruffling feathers and we're here and we're going to speak out. So. Gotcha. 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 Now, of course, you know, we're here with uh, Jasmine Atkins uh, and we are talking about uh, normalizing sexual health. And, you know, with that being said, uh, I could not let this podcast go by without talking about, I know, two huge topics when it comes to uh, sexual, um, the sexual, that, that, the topic, excuse me, of sexual, you know, sexuality and even just sex in general. So one, and I'd just love to get your opinion on these two topics in whatever direction you decide to go, Jasmine. One, pornography. Two, sexual toys. Two great topics. Um, So pornography, um, you know, there's a couple of issues stemming from it, right? So one with pornography, especially when we're talking about young minds, right? The adolescent brain. Um, There's several issues. One, you know, porn can be very violent, um, you know, depending on what type of porn someone is watching, it can be very unrealistic. And so what happens is when you have the adolescent brain in particular, is that we have this idea of sex. And then of course, it's not real. <laughs> and then so that's what kind of the expectation is for sex. And that can cause 
everything from relationship problems, you know, to unhealthy relationship behaviors, but then also their own, you know, sexual health and pleasure, right? If they're not able to gain pleasure from anything else, unless it looks like that, um, or, you know, just like anything, you can have too much of anything, you know, chronic masturbation, right? Um, the cure for that is really just to stop masturbating for a while. Uh, and then you should be able to kind of get your sensation back, but that's also easier said than done. Um, but really for me, the two major ethical issues I have with porn are one that it can be very violent. And so for the performers there, uh, it's just not a safe environment. Right. Um, and then also that that's portraying, you know, sex and relationships that way to the world and some people, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what they do to their partners. Um, and not always consensual, um, and same for the porn industry. Um, the other issue I have is encouraging folks that, okay, this is a form of pleasure expression, you know, however you're going to watch your porn, um, ethical porn, um, is kind of like this new topic kind of coming out, um, for adults, um, especially. So ethical porn means that, you know, you can access porn anywhere on any, as long as you have a device, you know, you can pull up a porn video. Um, but what's happening is that with unethical porn, we're just pulling up these videos. Those performers are not paid. Um, you know, it's just, you're just watching someone's video or looking at their photos. And so we always say, you know, if porn is something that you engage in or you and your partner or whatever, that if possible, you know, engage in ethical porn. So making sure that we're paying, uh, you know, the performers for their services. Um, but those are two of my biggest issues. It's just that understanding that it is fake. <laughs> it is there for entertainment value. And right. that is it. Um, and then just making sure that the folks that are doing it are being compensated. That is awesome. Wow. I, you yeah. know what I have to say? That is, uh, I didn't expect that. But at the same time, highly enlightening. Uh, I learned something new, you know, as far as, you know, just, just the topic in itself. Uh, I, I think that is very important. And I love your perspective on shaping the young mind, you know, and, you know, I would even go as far as to say, I mean, you know, any mind, you know, especially, you know, in this day and age where uh, we're accustomed to having, and I say we society from a society perspective are now beginning, beginning to get accustomed to having multiple partners. And so then, you know, when you, when someone is watching pornography, they can begin to, you know, of course, you know, embed these ideas of what it could be like with multiple partners. And, you know, of course, then, you know, that could lead into unsafe practices, uh, you know, non-consensual, you know, behaviors that are being brought to the table simply because of what's been in ingrained through watching pornography. So, you know, very good um, points that you brought up. And so, yeah, very, very good. I, I I think that's very beneficial. And I think that any parents that are listening to this podcast today, uh, you should definitely have that conversation uh, with your children about pornography because they do have access to it. And I don't think at this day and age, you can be naive to say that my, my child has a, you know, a cell phone, a smartphone, uh, completely accessible to the entire, you know, worldwide web, and they have not come across porn. I think that's very naive in itself. So I think that should be a part of the conversation when it comes to sexual health. So thank you for addressing that. So with the other topic of toys, uh, where yeah, are you with so, that? So I think they're great. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think they can really help folks, you know, explore their bodies, find out what they like, what they don't like. Um, you know, in the words of like a Cosmo magazine, you know, spice up your sex life, whatever. Um, but with toys, you know, of course, there's a couple things I always recommend. One, you know, nothing wrong with experimenting. So if you want to try something, try it. But one, of course, get partner consent if you're using it with someone else, right? Um, just because you want to try doesn't mean that they're going to be fully on board, especially if it's something that touches their body, right? It's just you alone, knock yourself out. Uh, but if it's going to involve them in the process, um, you know, making sure that you have their consent and talk it over. Two, uh, making sure that we are buying safe products. So medical grade um, materials. If you go on a website, you can usually find out like in the about us thing, you know, where they get their products or how they make them if, if they make their own products. Um, two, making sure that if we're using them, um, especially with multiple partners, but even just with one partner and by yourself, that we are washing them the correct way. Um, you know, one bacterial, um, you know, especially for people who have vaginas, um, that is a bacterial infection waiting to happen. And we don't want that. Um, it's just a headache. Um, and two, if you're using them with multiple partners, um, that could be a way that we transmit STIs. So we definitely want to make sure that they are clean. Um, and then a way to prevent that as well, and just an extra layer of protection, um, if we're using any like sort of wand or, you know, some of the vibrators and things that are a little bit bigger, um, you can put a condom on that. Um, you know, so don't be afraid to do that as well. Um, but I think they're really great tools to kind of explore yourself, um, you know, have fun with your partner and, you know, this, the stigma that is still there against those is quite interesting. Um, you know, oh, you're one of those people. It's like, what, you know, it, it's just an, another layer of pleasure should you so choose. So. I always encourage people to explore. Um, for me, I always recommend mostly exploring yourself. Um, I think they're great ways for people to kind of discover what you like and what you don't like so that you can communicate that to a partner. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I feel like if you just play it safe, just like everything else, you know, if that's something you're into, there's nothing wrong with it. So one thing that you mentioned was medical grade uh, materials. Um, how would the average person be able to recognize if it's medical grade? Yeah, so just be careful, like buying from sellers. Um, you know, I love Amazon. Uh, probably half my house is from Amazon. But just be really <laughs> careful when you buy from like third parties like that. Um, a lot of them ship them in from different countries and we're just not really sure what it's made of. And remember, that's going inside of your body or touching, you know, sensitive, vulnerable parts of your body. So we just want to make sure that it is, is safe. So I always like to say, if you're going to buy something, go to the seller directly or go to like your local adult shop. Um, the people who work there usually can have a pretty good understanding of their products. Uh, but if you're not sure, go to that third party website and see, you know, what are they making their products out of? Um, read, you know, the information about caring for that product. Um, you know, usually we want to wash it with water. There's different cleaners that you can or can't use on different toys and materials. Um, so you just really just want to do your homework before buying anything, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jasmine, this has been wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I've learned some things today. 
Yay! Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. No, this has been great. So, you know, of course, as we um, close out our podcast for today, I uh, just want to again thank you for joining us. Uh, it has truly been educational and entertaining at the same time. Um, <laughs> for our audience members, um, of course, I'm going to highly encourage everyone to go to your Instagram page. It's just coochie. Uh, I find it very educational and entertaining, uh, which is a great, uh, great synergy to have in post. But what is it that, what is your key takeaway that you would like the Rise of Purpose audience to come away with after our, our discussion today? So if I had to leave you with anything, um, this is kind of what I tell everybody. If I had to leave you with one thing, one, be curious about your sexual health from all perspectives, as many perspectives as you are comfortable looking at. Um, You know, it's your body, it's your health, and your health is worth that curiosity. Um, Your health is worth looking into, and it's worth communicating about, whether that's communicating in the way that you're doing your own homework, communicating with a partner, communicating with a provider, you know, if you have questions or if something is going on, it's worth it. So I always say, you know, know your worth from all of those different perspectives. And then lastly, I always say when it comes to your sexual health, from all perspectives, once again, never put your health into the hands of another person. Um, It's your body, it's your decision in every way possible for everything that we've talked about. Um, And so just know your information so that you can make an informed choice and whatever that is, it's the best decision for you. So that's what I'll leave you with. Awesome. 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 And once again, uh, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to keep saying this. Of course, I would love for everyone to go out and follow your Instagram page. It's just a coochie. But then what other uh, forms, uh, what is social media website? What else do you Mm -hmm. have that they can actually follow you on, Jasmine? Yeah, so we have a Facebook page as well. Um, and we just started a Twitter last week. Uh, so you can find it, the, all the handles are the same. Um, so you can find us on all of those three platforms for right now. Um, but definitely looking into growing into some other spaces. But if you watch the current spaces, you'll see all those announcements. Wonderful, wonderful. All right. Well, lastly, thank you for joining us, audience, Rise of Purpose Nation. We are delighted that you were able to join us where we engage, educate, and empower you to know better, do better, and be better. Until next time, continue to rise of purpose. My name is Avery Rochelle III, signing out. Take care.